0: All right, please turn with me to Exodus chapter 16. We're gonna be looking at verses 22 through the end of the chapter. Our message this morning is entitled, I Am the Sabbath. Exodus chapter 16, beginning in verse 22. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, And it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name Manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. People of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is the 10th part of an ephah. May God bless the preaching of his word. Let's pray. Father, may the preaching of your holy word not be done this morning in the plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power, that our faith may not rest on the wisdom of men, but entirely in the power of God. For we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, you may be seated. So recall that in verses 1 through 21, Israel grumbles against God. It's mentioned eight times in the passage, and they actually accuse God of bringing them out in the wilderness only to starve them. The God who performed 10 plagues upon Egypt and rescued them out of slavery, whom they cried out to... They were now accusing of evil. And at that point, God had every right to destroy them. But instead of destroying them, God graciously sends them manna from heaven. And he does this every single week, six days a week for 40 years, all the way until they reach the promised land. This manna is called angel's food in Psalm 78, 25. In verse 31, it is like wafers made with honey. So this was not lima beans in the wilderness. It was an all-satisfying feast. And we learned that this manna was also a test for Israel to see if they would walk in Yahweh's law or not. That's what verse 4 says. And of course, all of this typifies the Lord Jesus Christ, who when he... Provided bread in the wilderness, feeding those 5,000 in John chapter 6, what did he say? He said, I am the true bread sent from heaven to give life to the world. Now this morning, we're going to see the connection between the giving of the manna and the Sabbath. Uh, There's a divine connection between feasting and resting, between work and worship. And this was also part of Israel's testing. Uh, They they had been delivered. Will Will they now obey him? Will they find their rest in the Lord? And dear congregation, as we've been seeing, this part of the book of Exodus typifies our sanctification. We were once slaves to Pharaoh, and by the blood of the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, we've been delivered out of that bondage, and now we're slaves to Christ. Now that we have been delivered, will we find our rest in him? Just as Christ is the true bread from heaven, feeding us and satisfying our hearts, so he is the true Sabbath who gives us rest every week, one day a week, specifically all the way to the promised land. So will we rest in him? So here's our big idea this morning. Jesus Christ is the true Sabbath, and he commands us to rest in him every Sabbath day. Now, I struggled with that big idea because that juxtaposition of command and rest seems strange. Children, boys and girls, does that... Seems strange to you that God commands us, he orders us, he demands that we rest. Aren't God's commands supposed to be burdens? I mean, this is what Satan suggested to Eve in the garden, that God's commands are burdens. This is the whole basis of the fall. Fall. If you believe God, you're going to be burdened. If you obey Him, you're going to be burdened. But, boys and girls, is feasting a burden? When your body is tired, is resting a burden? No, not at all. This is the God all, whose all of His commands are blessings. He only commands joy in our lives. There's no other command in the Bible, it's all joy. John says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome, 1 John 5.3. So we must, at the very beginning of this message, reject Satan's lies when we approach this idea of the Sabbath. All of God's commands are feasting and resting. All right, so let's look then at our doctrine. Let's begin in, in verse 5. When... God told them that He would give them the manna. He told them that on the sixth day, there would be a double portion available for them to gather. Verse 5. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. And then we fast forward to, to verse 22, where it, it, it is the sixth day, and look how they respond. Verse 22, on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each, that's four quarts per person, and all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses. Stop right there. Why why did the congregation come to Moses and tell him what happened? Well, apparently they were surprised by it five days of this much manna. And now on the sixth day, it's a double portion. And they're saying, what does this mean? So Moses tells them, look at verse 23. He said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Let's stop right there. So This is the first explicit reference in the Old Testament to Sabbath observance as a command. It's given in Genesis 2 as a declaration, but here it's a command. And notice that it happens here in Exodus 16, well before the covenant is given to them, the Ten Commandments, out at Mount Sinai, which is in Exodus 20. That's an important clue, very important that we're going to come back to this word Sabbath simply means to rest. It means to stop. It means to cease from work. And the Sabbath day, specifically, is the day of rest, the day to cease from all ordinary work. It says, Moses says in verse 23, he calls it a holy Sabbath. That word means set apart. So this is a set apart type of rest. It's different from all the other rests that we have during the other six days. It's utterly unique. God commanded Israel to take a one day holy vacation from their labors every single week. That's perhaps the most unrefined way to say it because the Sabbath is so much more than simply a vacation, but it highlights the infinite difference between Israel's old master, Pharaoh, and Israel's new master, Yahweh. Under Pharaoh, the Israelites never got one day of rest. Uh, Chapter one in Exodus, verse 11, says that Pharaoh set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. Verse 12, he oppressed them. Verse 13, he made the people of Israel work as slaves. Verse 14, he made their lives bitter with hard service. Scholar John Currid reports here that there is no concept of Sabbath rest found in ancient Egypt, ever. So for two centuries Israel didn't have one day's rest. Can you imagine? Israel, in bondage to Egypt, represents, typifies, the wicked man enslaved in his own sin. What does scripture say about the reprobate? That he never has rest. Isaiah 57, 20, but the wicked are like the tossing sea which cannot rest. There is no peace, no rest for the wicked, says the Lord. Isaiah 48, 22. But when God redeemed Israel by the blood of the Passover lamb, what did he immediately do? He immediately gives them a day of rest every single week. And and this rest was a paid vacation, because God provided a double portion of manna on the sixth day so that their needs were taken care of without them having to work. So that's, that's nearly eight weeks of paid vacation every year that Israel got. And that doesn't even include the three yearly feasts that they were given in, in addition. Don't you see how this typifies the redeemed man? That those of us who have been washed by the blood of the Lamb, who have been delivered from that domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, we have true rests for our souls. Hebrews 4.3. For we who have believed in the Son enter that rest. And this soul rest was to be experienced every single week. Every single week. Israel was to remember what Yahweh had done for them. So, so mark this. Deuteronomy 5.15, mark that verse. God tells them, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day was a day for Israel to remember that Yahweh had delivered them from the dragon. And the Israelites themselves were to prepare for it. Halfway through verse 23, we read, bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning." So not only were they to gather what they needed on the sixth day for the seventh, but they were to prepare all of that for the seventh as well so that minimal labor would have to be done on the Sabbath. And here, unlike the other five days a week, if they kept something overnight and it uh, would would breed worms and stink on this particular day, it did not. Verse 24, so they laid it aside to the morning as Moses commanded them and it did not stink and there was no worms in it. Verse 25, Moses says, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today, you will not find it in the field. This is so fascinating. Today, you won't find it in the field. And, And this is reinforced in verse 26, six days you shall gather it, But on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. Why why wouldn't they be able to find it on the field on the seventh day? Why would there be none? Because God himself is also resting. Resting at least from this particular work, right? God rests on the Sabbath. He doesn't produce the miracle of the manna on this day. He ceased from this particular activity on this particular day. Come back to that. But I want you to notice that repeated phrase, those three words in verse 23 and 25, to the Lord. Look at verse 23. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. And then verse 25, eat it today for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. So so two things must be observed here. First, first. The Sabbath is not about total inactivity. It's about specialized activity. Uh, The Sabbath was not instituted so that we could do nothing. Um, There's nothing holy about doing nothing. It was instituted so that we could concentrate all of our activity to the Lord. And second, this Sabbath rest is to the Lord... Because our rest is in the Lord. Israel's rest, our rest, is not some abstracted rest. So so children, boys and girls, when you go to sleep at night, do you rest in the air? Do you levitate in the air? Are you abstracted from that bed? That would be a cool trick, wouldn't it? No, you you rest in your bed. Sabbath resting is resting in a person. It's resting in Christ. And this is part of the difficulty that so many people have with the Sabbath because they've depersonalized it. They've abstracted it. But here we see that Sabbath is to the Lord because Sabbath is in the Lord, specifically Our Sabbath is in the Lord Jesus Christ, who came into the world to be our Sabbath. So that brings us to our doctrine this morning, that Jesus Christ is the true Sabbath, and he commands us to rest in him every Sabbath day. Let's just consider three proofs for this. Proof number one, Matthew 11, 28 through 29. Please turn there with me. Matthew 11, 28 through 29, this is what Pastor Luke preached on last week, and Jesus gives perhaps the most wonderful invitation in all of the New Testament. Look what he says. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus here is saying that he is rest incarnate. This is how all of those I am statements work in the New Testament it's sign and substance, or it's type and anti type. So Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Bread is the sign. Jesus is the substance. Physical bread satisfies man's hunger, and so Jesus satisfies the hunger of the soul. So likewise here, it's no different. The day of rest is the sign, and Jesus is the substance. So the weekly Sabbath gives us rest from all of our physical work, but Jesus, the true Sabbath, gives us soul rest. You can't get soul rest from taking a nap, from doing nothing. You can get bodily rest, but not your soul can't find rest. But you might say, ah, but Pastor Josh, there's actually no mention of Sabbath here, so you don't prove anything. But look at the very next passage in Matthew 12. Look how God arranged the scripture to prove this very point. What is the subject over chapter 12? Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. That's proof number two, Matthew chapter 12, verse 8. So what's the issue at stake in these verses? Well, the Pharisees had abstracted the Sabbath from the Lord. They they turned it into superstition, into man made rules, and they called foul on Jesus' disciples for hungry disciples for plucking grain on the Sabbath and eating. And Jesus corrects them, in essence, by saying, Look, the Sabbath was meant to restore man, not to ruin him with hunger. The Sabbath is meant for mercy, not for malice. And then, so they wouldn't miss the point, he re centers the Sabbath upon himself. Look at verse 8 The Son of Man is Lord on the Sabbath. He's saying, in other words, I'm the master of this day. I get to, I invented it. I alone get the right to define it. I determine everything about this day because this day is about me. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Proof number three, Hebrews 4, 2 through 3. Please turn with me to Hebrews 4. So the way that the book of Hebrews is set up is that in chapter 1, the author is showing how Jesus is superior to all the angels in heaven. In chapter 2, verse 17, the author shows how he is the true and better high priest. Chapter 3, verse 1, how he's the true and better apostle. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 3, how he's counted worthy of more glory than Moses. And then beginning in chapter 3, verse 7, He begins to make the argument that Jesus is the true and better Sabbath. But those Israelites in the wilderness who we're talking about now, they didn't enter that rest because of their unbelief. Look at chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. For good news came to us just as it did to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who... Who listened? For we who have believed enter that rest. Do you see it? That those who believe in Christ enter that rest. When we are united to Christ by faith, we enter that rest because he is rest himself. He is what every Sabbath day pointed to. So that's our doctrine that Jesus Christ is the true Sabbath. And he commands us to rest in him every Sabbath day. Let's look then at our duty this morning. And our first duty is just to answer that objection that is immediately there. Because someone will say, fine, I believe what you just said, that Jesus is the true Sabbath. But not that he commands us to rest from our work every Sabbath day. That was the law To Old Covenant Israel, and we who are under the New Covenant have no such obligation. So, how do we answer that? Well, with a question perhaps, why don't we say the same thing about marriage? Why don't we say things like, you know, marriage between one man and one woman is part of the Old Covenant law. And we who are under the new covenant have no obligation to keep it. Someone might say, well, because the New Testament reinforces that law. But what if it didn't? Um, We don't say that about marriage because marriage predated the old covenant that God made with Israel at Mount Sinai. Marriage is a creation ordinance. Uh, The law of marriage is binding on all mankind, whether you're Christian or non-Christian, because that's the way that God made us. Uh, Genesis 2.24, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Marriage is a creation ordinance, and so is the Sabbath. It. Genesis 2.3, God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So here in Exodus 16, God is commanding Sabbath observance because it's a creation ordinance, not because it's part of the old covenant. See, fundamental to being a human being is our resting, our Sabbathing in the Lord, It's just as fundamental as your skin. It's just as fundamental as the brain in your head. It's what it means to be human. He designed us specifically to Sabbath in him. And that law is binding throughout all ages and eternity. It's called the eternal Sabbath. So Israel here, being a type of the redeemed man... When God recreated them in redemption, he calls them back to that original design to rest on the Sabbath so that they could contemplate what God had done so that they could rejoice in him and be glad in him. And that's what God does for us loved ones. He redeemed us by the blood of Jesus Christ and he recreates us and now he's calling us back into that same rhythm of that early paradise. Six days in one. That we would rest from all of our works every Sabbath so that we could rest in him. Now, our second duty is to consider why men refuse to rest. Why men refuse to rest. Look at verse 27 in our passage. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather but they found none. They refused to rest. Why? Well, philosopher Joseph Piper, he, he suggests that the man who refuses to rest is called the proletarian man. He says this, quote, the proletarian is the man who is fettered to the process of work. The proletarian man is a slave to work. Here in verse 27, some of these Israelites were slaves to their work. They refused to rest even when God commanded it of them. Why? What are the main reasons that men refuse to Sabbath? Well, consider just three. First, Some refuse to rest because they don't believe they have enough. Some refuse to rest because they don't believe that they have enough. No doubt some of these Israelites who went out on the Sabbath did so because they thought that they were going to run out of manna. They believed that their sustenance and their livelihood ultimately depended upon their own self-effort, their own self-dependence. They failed the Sabbath test. And God immediately rebukes them for it. Look at verses 28 and 29. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. God gave them enough bread on the sixth day for two days. And loved ones, the principle underneath this is an enduring promise for every child of God that God will provide enough on the six days so that you can rest from your work on the seventh. Psalm thirty-seven twenty-five, one of my favorite verses. I've been young and now I am old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. It's simply a lie that God will not provide for his own. Reason number two, some people refuse to rest because they believe external forces compel them. Some people refuse to rest because they believe that external forces compel them. Now, We get six other shots at the Sabbath because Exodus is littered with Sabbath stuff. So I'm not going to address those works of mercy and necessity here uh, that are lawful on the Sabbath. If you want to look those up, go to larger catechism question 60, and you could uh, study those out. Here, we're simply addressing those who won't rest because of other reasons, outside external forces. Turn with me to Exodus 34, Exodus 34, 21. Is one of those places where the Sabbath is dealt with again. Exodus 34, 21, he says, Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you Shall rest. Now, here's the question Why did God specifically mention plowing time and harvest? I mean, certainly this was, you know, a farming society, so those were perfect illustrations for them. But he's, and he's saying plowing time and harvest because are those not the two busiest parts of the year for the farmer? Yes. Absolutely, he, he has to get those seeds into the ground at plowing time, and he has to pull those crops up at harvest time. And God here is anticipating what the farmer would say. What's the farmer going to say? He's going to say, well, I only have such and such time to get it done, so I better not take a rest. And this temptation extends to every single vocation, not just farming. So, so the question here is this. Does God not know what needs to be done in our lives? Yes, God knows. Does God know about our deadlines? Yes, God knows. God is the one who created schedules and deadlines. And what does he say about those deadlines and those schedules? In plowing time and in harvest, you shall rest. Third reason is some refuse to rest because they are compelled by inside forces. Some refuse to rest because they're compelled internally. Some people work nonstop as a form of escape. They can't cope with reality. And so they become workaholics. Some work nonstop in order to atone for their guilt. Rush says here, quote, when men are burdened with a sense of guilt, they use work as a means of atonement. Work then becomes a substitute for religion. They work because work is the only way they can experience life. And then finally, some work nonstop because it gives them a sense of identity. They don't know who they are without the work. When they stop working, they feel like they're worthless, that they don't count for anything. So those are some of the reasons why men refuse to Sabbath. And so that leads us to our third duty, which is to examine ourselves. It is unquestionable that in this passage, the Sabbath is a test of our faith, a testing of our faith. He says in verse 4, that he sent the manna and gave them the rhythm of six days of work, one day of rest, that I might test them, whether they may walk in my law, or not. So loved ones, we need to examine ourselves. Are we walking in God's law when it comes to the Sabbath? Does, does, our, does the week belong to us or does it belong to God? Do you rest from your work on the day that he has given you to rest? If yes, then, then praise God because you know firsthand that the Sabbath is not a burden at all. You know that it's a feast. You know that it's a rest. But if no, if that's not you, then why not? What reasons could you give to the Lord for not resting? Let's look at then finally our delight this morning. The Sabbath command is not meant to... rub our nose in our guilt. The Sabbath command is actually the opposite. It's it's meant to see something heavenly that we can't see without it. So this, this doctrine is meant to comfort ourselves and that's our first delight, to comfort ourselves. What does the Sabbath accomplish for us? I chose those words so carefully. What does the Sabbath accomplish for us? Did God gain something by telling Israel to Sabbath? Is it for his own sake that he commands mankind to Sabbath? No, not at all. Not properly speaking. Listen to what Jonathan Edwards says here, reflecting on Genesis 2. What could be the meaning of God's resting the Sabbath day? And sanctifying and blessing it, which he did before the giving of the fourth commandment, unless he sanctified it and blessed it with respect to mankind. For he did not bless and sanctify it with respect to himself, or that he within himself might observe it, as that would be most absurd. What Edwards is getting at here is that God doesn't gain anything properly speaking from the Sabbath. Rather, God blessed it for our sake. This is precisely what Jesus taught. In Mark 2, 27, he says, for the Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath was made to bless us, to give us rest, to draw us into the presence of the living God. And that's our first comfort of the Sabbath. Sabbath is for communion with God. God was jealous to spend time with Israel. That's why he stopped working. He stopped working so that he could, it could be a sign to Israel that he's completely devoted to them. And he commands them to stop working so that they would be devoted to him, commune with him and delight with him. God wants actually to be with us. Isn't that shocking? I mean, that's the inevitable conclusion of the cross. God desired our communion with him so much. He so desired to be with us. He so loved the world that he gave up his most precious treasure, his only son, that he might be with us. God would rather have put his own son to death by the hands of wicked sinners than to forfeit heaven without us. That's his decree. That's that's what God is doing in the world. And, And this has nothing to do with how great we are because we are not great. God does this because he is great. He's not doing this because we are lovely and we are worthy. He's doing this because he is love itself. He's the very definition of love and worth. Sabbath exists because God, this God of love wants to spend time with us and it's his earnest desire to do so and he beckons us to do it. Come to me, Jesus says. He pleads with us. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. That's the first comfort of the Sabbath that this living God actually wants to commune with us. If you ever doubted God's love, He gives a whole day of the week every week to communicate that love to you. The second comfort of the Sabbath is that God heals us. I remember back in Exodus 15 when God made those bitter waters of Mara sweet, He said in verse 26. Paraphrasing, if you keep my commands, end of the verse, then I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Sabbath is one of his commands. As we keep the Sabbath, God promises to heal us and to restore us. Loved one, don't you need weekly healing? I know I desperately do. Our souls are weakly afflicted with sin. Our, our hearts and consciences are weakly troubled with hypocrisy. We, we find in our own bosom that we're our greatest enemies and it plagues us. We find that we're weakly sorrowful over what's happening in the world. What does Sabbath do? Sabbath is to heal those things in our soul. What does Jesus do in the Gospels on the Sabbath day? What does he do? He, he trots this out and makes it public. He, he He heals men. He delivers them from demons. He shows mercy. He teaches heavenly doctrine. He confronts the wicked doctrine of the Pharisees. He he restores man. And all of those stories are great in and of themselves, but they're not one-offs. This is what he's setting the pattern. This is what Jesus does every Sabbath. He, this is his Sabbath work. He heals us and delivers us and teaches us and restores us into the men and women that he calls us to be. Let's try again. The third comfort of the Sabbath is that it helps us to remember the gospel. At the end of our passage today, the Lord commands them to do something with the manna. Look at verse 32. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. So this jar of manna, Hebrews 9, 4 tells us, was placed alongside the testimony, that's the Ten Commandments, and placed into the ark when it was constructed. Why? Well, verse 32 and verse 33 tells us, it was to be a witness to all future generations that they may see... That it is God who provides. And loved ones, we still see that manna in that ark every single Sabbath. Who is the true and better manna? Who is the true and better ark of the covenant? That man is placed in the ark, and whenever Jesus is preached on Sunday, it's opened up for us, and we get to remember the provision that God has made for us, and that he will continue to make for us all the way home to the promised land. In other words, we remember the gospel. It's not because of our Sabbath-keeping that we're saved, and if you're here this morning and that's what you're hearing and you're an unbeliever, you can never be saved through Sabbath keeping. You can never have your sins forgiven no matter how careful you are on your calendar. You can only have your sins forgiven by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and asking him for mercy and declaring yourself a sinner. And that's what we get as believers every Sunday. We're reminded that we are not saved because of We have done it right. Israel failed the test. We have failed the test. We are saved because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, passed every single test for us, for all who put their hope in him. He fulfilled it all. He accomplished it all. He's forgiven all. Every Sabbath, we get to look at Christ, the ark of God, where that manna is, and we remember the gospel of amazing grace that it's not by works of righteousness that we have done, but by his own mercy, he has saved us. Every Sabbath is a day of feasting once again on that manna, that gospel manna, resting in the finished work of Christ. Christ. So that's the third comfort. Helps us to remember the gospel. Our last delight now is that Christ calls us to Sabbath with him every single week. So that's our charge, loved ones. Our charge this morning is keep the Sabbath. Cease from your work on the Sabbath. Rest in Christ, attend the gathering of the saints, show mercy, do good works, use your Sabbath to be healed and to be restored, and then turn around and be an instrument of healing and restoration for others. And in our passage, God provides the way that we do that, the way that we do it, the manner, the means, and it's through Sabbath preparation. Look In verse 23, one more time, there God tells Israel to gather and prepare the manna ahead of time, bake and boil everything and leave it overnight. The principle is this, Sabbathing doesn't happen by accident. It happens by making purposeful choices the other six days of the week so that you can be sure to meet with God on the day of rest. So loved ones, be... Let's let's be careful together and let's evaluate the choices that we're making in our lives so that we don't sacrifice the great day of the Sabbath for lesser things. Listen, I'm convicted of this and I I know that I, I fall short in this idea of preparing. I, I'm guilty. But we need to understand that keeping the Sabbath doesn't begin on Sabbath day morning. It begins by evaluating everything we're doing the other six days a week. How can I make this day the center, the pinnacle? So pray and ask God to give you wisdom, to know how to do that. Pray and ask him to help you to lay down everything that would prevent you from feasting and resting on this day. And this is the promise that God gives to those who will. Isaiah 58, 13, and 14. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of of the Lord has spoken. Let's pray. Father, we are so incredibly thankful that you would want to be with us. Lord, we examine our own lives. We look at the sins that we have committed and the sins that we still commit. And we wonder how could a God ever love us And we thank you, Lord, that this is who you are. You loved us because you loved us. Not because of anything in us, but because of everything in you. That you are the great I am, the great Alpha and Omega, the King of kings and Lord of lords. That all glory belongs to you, all honor belongs to you. And so God... We accept the fact that you want to actually commune with us. Help us to believe it and help us to move things in our life, whether it be heaven and earth, in order to be with you every Sabbath. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name, amen.